This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast, and I'm here today with Wendy. Hi, Wendy. How are you? Hi, Annie. I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining. So, um... Why don't you take me back kind of to the beginning? Like where, where did it all start with you? What was your first drink look like and your first memories around alcohol? Well, um, my very first drink was terrible. Um, I didn't, um, I did, I don't remember trying. I'm sure I did try a drink at some point and just have a couple of sips of something, but I don't really have any specific memory around that. The first drinking experience that I remember was when I was about 15 and I mixed together a bunch of um, different liquors together in a jar with a friend of mine and drank it straight and got so sick and it was so embarrassing. We were going to uh, my very first high school dance. Um, actually, the, the most embarrassing thing about it was that my dad had, t- had taught at this high school for 16 years and he had just left to take another job as a principal. And so he wasn't at the school anymore, but everybody knew who I was. And I was so sick at this dance and threw up on a police officer and my parents, oh, I was no. I guess the worst, was the worst first drinking experience. And, um, and the good news about it was that I, it turned me off alcohol for a while. So I kind of stayed away from it for, you know, or at least was very careful with it for the, for the next few years. Oh, wow. Um, so like, did you get arrested or how did you throw up? On no. Oh my gosh. No, but my, so my, it was just awful. So my dad had to come pick me up with my mom. He was mortified and he wouldn't come in to get me. So my mom had to come in to get me. I threw up on the, on the police officer, but the principal was also there. So the next day, my parents, I remember, oh, I was so hungover my first hangover and it was terrible. And I had to call the, the um, police officer. They made me call the police station, ask for the police officer by name and apologize to him. And then I had to go in and see the principal and apologize to the principal. So, you know, I probably got off pretty easy, um, but I was, I was so embarrassed and my parents were so disappointed. So anyway, it, it stuck. It was a good lesson for me. And I was really just had kind of a typical high school, you know, with, in terms of alcohol. Um, and then I went to university, I did my undergrad and had a pretty typical college experience with alcohol too, like some binge drinking, which was, you know, uh, and still is, I think all the rage. Um, so I did that, but it was just maybe once a week. Um, and, um, and again, pretty typical, not really a problem. Um, then I went to, uh, law school after that and it was kind of a repeat. It was the same thing. Um, it was in law school though, that I started to get, um, I started to hear a little bit about like the lifestyles of being a lawyer. Um, and to be perfectly honest, I didn't go to law school because I wanted to be a lawyer. I went to law school because everybody else thought I should go to law school and I didn't know what else to do. So um, I went, I was in law school. I was a little unsure about what I was doing. I loved law school, um, but I didn't know what I was going to do afterwards. And I started hearing these stories about kind of what it would be like to practice law. Um, and that leaving when I left law school and actually started my first job as a lawyer, that's when it really started. Um, so, yeah. so you went to law school, just typical drinking, like obviously law school probably is, is pretty heavy drinking, but it's pretty, yeah. 
felt like you were in keeping with sort of everybody else. More or less. Yeah. I mean, I was just doing what everybody else was doing. So we'd have like a couple nights a week where we'd all go out and there was like a frat house that was a law frat house and we would go there and drink and there'd be bands and you know, the usual, but I studied hard and I couldn't drink. I couldn't do that more than once or twice a week. Cause I just had so much schoolwork to do and I was a really good student. So I was focused on that. Yeah. Yeah. So then you graduated, you got your first job as a lawyer, went right yeah, into it. I went out of law school right into a uh, job at a large corporate commercial firm in um, Alberta. So I moved from, I'm from Nova Scotia in Canada, and I moved to the other side of the country to Alberta, which is kind of just north of you, um, and, uh, and started at this big firm. And I had never been in that kind of an environment before. I grew up in a really typical middle-class family. My dad, as I said, was a teacher. My mom worked at the bank. Um, so it was all new to me and there was this whole culture around wine in particular, but also alcohol that I had never been exposed to before. In fact, I had never had, I tasted red wine, but I hated it so much. I had never really sat down and had a glass of red wine before I started at the law firm. And as it turns out, that became my drink of choice. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting that, um, what that culture of wine can do to somebody. Um, so yeah, when I started at the, at the firm, um, it, it was obvious that that was part of what I needed to do, uh, or at least I felt like it was part of what I needed to do, you know, in, in terms of marketing and work, you know, um, yeah, kind of entertaining clients. Um, but it was also just a part of the culture there. Like it was a work that work hard, play hard kind of thing where we would work really, really hard. We'd work long hours. We have, you know, long days, um, and then after that, we would celebrate and it was, oh, it always involved alcohol. Um, one of the partners, I worked for two partners and one of my partners who I love dearly, but he, he had like his own wine cellar in the basement. He imported grapes, crushed them and then made his own wine. Um, so the very first time I went over to his house, it was all about the wines. He's a wine expert. Um, and, uh, you know, we had partners retreats in Sonoma and, you know, it was just part of the culture. Yeah, and I feel like you're right about the wine culture being something that it, it does feel very sticky because it, it plays into our, oh, we've arrived. Oh, this is what success is. Oh, I'm a grown up now. And there, there's so many, um, there, at least in my mind, because I was also red wine was like the drink of choice. There was such a, such a vast difference between like me drinking my red wine corporately and how sophisticated it all seemed and you know um the college experience for sure the the drinking and 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 definitely oh, yeah. anybody who like the problem you know which which is why i think wine can so quickly seep into a mom culture because it does feel like you feel responsible almost you're like yeah well i'm i'm doing you know I don't know. It's hard to put my finger on, but you. Yeah. Well, I think it's that this, like, I'd never had had really like a casual drink before I started practicing law. I only drank because everybody else was drinking and we were going out and there was like an objective and the objective was to drink a little bit too much and have a really crazy night. And so when I started at the law firm, you know, obviously that's not what we were doing most of the time. It was the first time I really had had like a glass of wine with lunch. Like I had never done that before, or, you know, just a glass of wine at the end of the day with someone to unwind or even two glasses of wine. Um, and so I think it's the difference between that idea of like wine as some kind of a casual relaxing thing or alcohol as a relaxant or a, or a yeah, more of a relax, a relaxant versus like a drug to party with, 
which is where I was in university. It was really just, you know, there was a real purpose for it. And I was never really going to have one drink in university. So, right. Like you were yeah. drinking to get yeah. drunk. <laughs> yeah. I was on a mission. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. This whole, because that's very much where it started for me too, was like just this, you know, just glass of wine and, and feeling like, okay, this is, this is totally good. This is totally responsible. And it was very unclear for me when it turned into something that, you know, I, I can't really pinpoint it to when it was like, huh, that, that was because it didn't become like a binging thing again for me. Yeah. Or yeah really. Me neither. Like binging is real. I mean, there were obviously there was a few nights where I would have been out with friends or whatever. Um, but it wasn't, it's the same with me. It just, it slowly evolved into something different than what it was when it started. And it's hard for me now to look back and find the actual, see the actual time um, but it definitely, there was definitely a progression there that I can see when I reflect back on it. Um, but for, and for a long time, I think it, it served me okay. But then there was this tipping point where it wasn't, it really wasn't serving me in the same way as it was before. So yeah, your story resonates with me. I think we had a similar path with, with alcohol in terms of um, just getting caught up in that lifestyles, you know, really the, I loved the I loved the firm I practice at, and I loved so many of the people there. Um, but it really is just I think it's an undercurrent of a lot of these, um, you know, corporate workplaces, um, and, it, and it definitely was there. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so then what happened? Um, so then what happened? So I just continued on that route. So I was um, I was a good I was a good lawyer. I worked hard. Um, I had long hours there. Eventually I met my husband in Calgary. He's, he's actually from Alberta. So I met him and um, continued practicing law um, and continued drinking and <laughs> started to work on some big files and do a lot of traveling for work, do more court work, lots of celebrations with clients. The further kind of up you move um, up the ladder at a law firm, the more of that stuff you're invited to and you participate in. So there was a lot more of that as I continued on. Um, I think where things really started to shift for me when I reflect back is when um, we, we started our family. Um, so uh, we had some real difficulty in starting a family. And I, now when I reflect back on it, I can see that that probably was part of it too. Um, although at the time I didn't realize that. I think I started using wine as a coping mechanism then. That was when it shifted from being like a social, enjoyable pleasure to an actual attempt to escape. Um, so we had some difficulty starting our family and we ended up being really very blessed in that we were able to adopt a baby boy, um, basically the day he was born. Um, and I, by happy circumstance, was pregnant with the only baby that I actually ever carried through to term. Um, and I was just nine weeks pregnant when we adopted him. So I ended up having these two babies within seven months, which was completely nuts, but also very awesome. Um, and right in between the two babies, I think my son was, uh, he was probably just over two months old. Um, I got called into the firm and they asked me if I would agree to become a partner. And at that time, it, there weren't a lot of options for that. It was kind of a yes, or if you said yes, you stayed. If you said no, you kind of had to find another job almost. Um, so I was able to negotiate a non-equity track at that time because truthfully, I already knew I wasn't going to stay in that job forever. So I, there was a lot of stress around that for me. Um, but I was still now a partner in the law firm, which had a bunch of increased responsibilities, including increased marketing responsibilities and um, trying to raise these two kids 
I was on these crazy back-to-back mat leaves where I was trying to work, but also be on maternity leave, which was nearly impossible. And um, didn't have a lot of, as you can imagine, that didn't have a, a booming social life. So I think wine became that for me. So my husband and I would share a bottle of wine on a Friday night. And that's when, when I think back, that's when we first started bringing wine into our home and drinking it together. Um, And then, you know, first it was just Friday nights. I used to swap babysitting with my neighbor. I would go babysit her son and she would leave me a bottle of wine. And then she would come over the next weekend to babysit my kids so that we could go out. Um, And I, so first it was just Friday nights and then that morphed into Saturday nights. And then as you can imagine, eventually we started drinking wine sometimes at night at home. um, And it just continued to go down from there. Um, After, oh, sorry, go ahead. So during this, during this time, two questions, what did your husband do? He runs his own company. So he, yeah. So when I was practicing law, he was working for the government, but he made a decision to start his own company as a consultant. He's an environmental consultant. And we decided that it made sense for him to do that while I was still, I still had a steady paycheck. So he was, um, he was working from home mostly, but also in the field all the time. So I was alone a fair bit with the two babies. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's crazy. Um, and then, so this, you know, just, did you guys intentionally not want to drink during the week or was it just something that wasn't happening? Like, was it a conversation ever? Or? Yeah, I don't remember it being a conversation then. It definitely became one as it got worse, but in the beginning it wasn't, and it just wasn't happening. I was busy. I worked late, you know, so the, it, it just wasn't there. We just didn't have it in the house. And I don't think there was any conscious decision making going on around that at that time. Um, eventually what happened was I left law. So I decided that, um, I did not want to continue practicing law. I left, um, Calgary as well. And we moved back to my home province of Nova Scotia. And, um, I think that that's when it really got, (laughs) that's when the problems really started, probably partly because it was such a shift for me to go from being so busy and feeling so productive all the time to having free time. And, you know, it was wonderful because I got to spend a year with my kids where before they started school as a stay at home parent, but that was a big adjustment for somebody who had, you know, not seen them very much in the first five years of their life. So I spent that one year home with them. And then I, um, started thinking about what I wanted to do in terms of a, in terms of a career, because I knew I wanted to be working again. Um, and that's when I started, um, I went back to school and I got a certification around natural nutrition, which led to me starting my own business um, and eventually getting some training in generalized coaching. And of course, that's what I do now. Um, and, uh, and that's really when I got full on into that mummy culture thing with my kids, because they started school and now they were you know, involved in activities and I started to get to know the other parents and there were birthday parties and, um, you know, soccer parties and (laughs) book clubs and all of these things that moms, you know, tend to get involved in. And there was alcohol at every single one of those events. Mm -hmm. And it really looked and seemed to me like it was okay and it was normal and everybody was doing it. And, you know, I think that's probably when it really started to unwind for me. Yeah. And so what did that look like? Did it look really internal at first? Like you just were feeling like things were different or was it external? Like things were happening? Um, probably a combination of both. It would have been, you know, a few years into that. So I have been back in Nova Scotia now for about 10 years. So I would say like five years into it, I started to like 
I was starting to get mindful around the fact that maybe it was too much. That's when I would have started moderating, like consciously moderating, setting up all the rules that we all set for ourselves around when we can drink and we're not going to drink on weekdays and we're only going to drink one night, you know, and we're only going to have this many drinks when we drink. And so I started doing that probably about five years ago. Um, and, you know, that worked for a while to keep me going in that um, I tricked myself into thinking that I, it wasn't a problem because I could moderate. So I could stop for a while. Um, and I was definitely looking for people all around me who drank more than me um, to justify my habits and normalize my habits. Um, and I found them because you can always find them if you look. <laughs> um, and, um, and so I think it worked for a while there. Um, but then my dad got sick. Um, and my dad got sick now probably about three years ago, but um, he got really, really sick. We had a huge health crisis with him. He got sick in Florida and we had to um, medevac him back um, to Nova Scotia. And he was like acutely ill for four months. And I was going into the hospital almost every day. And I was coming home from the hospital at the end of the day and immediately having a glass of wine. Um, and we, we, we were all doing that. So my sister was doing that and my mom was doing that because all of us were feeling this intense stress around this illness and not knowing how this was all going to turn out. And so, um, I, I was doing it every night. And for the first few weeks, I thought it was working for me. But at a certain point when I realized he probably wasn't going to be leaving the hospital for another three months minimum, I realized I couldn't keep that up. So then I started denying it and kind of trying to moderate it. But that is when it became obvious to me that I was white knuckling it through every night that I didn't drink. It was really hard not to have that glass of wine. Um, and as soon as it became really, really hard not to have it, I wanted it more. And I think that that's when it became really, really bad for me. So it was kind of this staged thing as we went along. Um, anyway, I, I did continue drinking while my dad was in the hospital. Um, and then he was, um, he was able to come home at a certain point. Um, but we knew it was a terminal condition that he had. So he came home and um, it was when we were told by the doctors that he had about a year left to live that I started actively trying to stop drinking. So actively trying to like go for longer stretches at a time, which I was sometimes able to do and sometimes I wasn't. Um, and my, I had had this anxiety that was building in me. So um, I, never had any, I've never, I, I'm just so lucky knock on, I don't even need to knock on wood because I don't drink anymore. So I don't have to worry about it, which is a blessing, but I didn't ever have any rock bottom things happen to me. I didn't have any big, you know, incidents. I didn't drive my kids drunk. I didn't, I didn't lose a client. I didn't embarrass myself in a major way with anybody. I didn't have any of that stuff happen, um, which is, obviously a really good thing but at the same time I feel now like that was one of the reasons why it took me so long to stop because I just I didn't have any big reasons to stop and it did seem like my drinking was pretty normal in terms of what I was seeing happening around me um, so I didn't have that but what I did have was this anxiety thing that you talk about all the time which is really when you started talking about that in this naked mind um, I I, it resonated so much with me and I thought, oh my God, I'm not the only, I'm not the only person. And now of course I've talked to so many people. I realize how common that nighttime waking thing is where you're just, you can't turn your brain off, mm -hmm. but that nagging anxiety is what saved me. I'm convinced of it because it started to drive me batty. Um, I would wake up every morning at three or three 30 in the morning and just 
be so ashamed of the fact that I didn't do what I said I was going to do and that I had another glass of wine or two or whatever I'd had the night before. And I would, I started at a certain point, I'd get up every time that happened because I couldn't turn my brain off. I'd go downstairs, make a cup of herbal tea. I would get my computer out. I would start Googling things like, am I an alcoholic? And, you know, how to stop drinking and things like that. Um, and unfortunately, when I did the alcoholic test, it's funny, Annie, because I just went back and did it again yesterday just to see. Like, I, my, I wondered whether I was actually being honest when I was doing the, the clinical test online because I never would come out as an alcoholic. And now that I'm on the other side of it, I mean, I don't care whether somebody thinks that I was an alcoholic or if I, I don't use that word to describe myself because it's not, it's not a word I like, but um, I, I'm not too bothered by it either way. But I always wondered, you know, whether I was being truthful when I was answering those questions. So I went back and did it the other day and I still don't clinically classify as an alcoholic <laughs> according to the test. And the problem with that was that that was just an excuse to keep drinking. And it's not really an effective test, or it wasn't an effective test for me in terms of being helpful at all, because I, I almost wanted it to say yes. Like I almost wanted it to say, yes, you have a problem, you need to stop. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately it didn't. Um, and I think, you know, I've done some reflection on that. I don't think it's a very helpful test for a lot of people um, in terms of when you're, you know, a, a decision-making tool for whether you maybe would be better off without alcohol. Yeah. <clears throat> and I mean, let's talk about that for a second, because I think it's such a good point. It's like what, what that test is testing for is the outset of m massive problems, right? Like it, it's testing for almost the fringe. And according to the CDC, you know, only 10% of excessive drinkers are like chemically dependent or dependent is what they say. So basically that would be yes alcoholic quote give me the label um and so but the majority it's certainly not testing and it's it's so interesting because you know there's okay what are the drinking guidelines of of moderate sort of drinking that isn't going to harm your health right that test isn't has anything to do with those guidelines that test is testing for like the tragic like outset of really bad drinking yeah. so then there's this huge okay so i'm not in the guidelines but i don't fit this test so there's nothing like it's just this vacuum like there's nothing like okay what what do i do here so i agree with you i think it does a huge disservice it's almost like you know um feeling like you're i don't know there, there's got to be a good uh, another way to do it it's almost like feeling like you know you're um you're overweight a little bit or you want to lose some weight or maybe your blood pressure yeah. is a bit high or something. And, and the test is like, no, we're testing you for a heart attack. Like, you know, yeah. there's no, there's no prevention in the standard. Like the test has no, there's no degree of prevention of something getting worse in the standard. It's like, you have to get it to the point where it's so bad before you actually qualify for somebody who objectively needs to make a change. And so it's the same thing I struggle, you know, I struggle with this because I coach a lot around nutrition and habit change generally, just lifestyle change. And it's a, you see it all the time. You know, if you don't, if you don't, if your blood sugars don't test too high, then you're not a diabetic. Um, and they're, you know, while they do sometimes classify people as pre-diabetic, I have a lot of people who I work with who are not technically pre-diabetic or diabetic, but they're headed that way. Um, but nobody is giving them any advice to curb to curb things or change things or prevent that from getting worse. 
And that's really where I was. I was stuck between those two. You know, I was, I would desperately cling to those moderation guidelines. And I remember once being in a doctor's office because the, the death, at least in Canada, it's probably the same in the States, but in Canada, um, the moderation guideline for women is one drink a day. Um, and I remember being in a doctor's office and seeing a sign on the wall that could be interpreted to mean that moderation for women was actually two drinks a day. And I just remember this huge feeling of relief. I almost got my phone out and took a picture of it because I thought, oh, this is so great. I can have two. You know, meanwhile, I'm not having two very often. So that's not even what I'm drinking. And I know darn well that that is not actually the, that's not the health guideline around alcohol, but I was just so desperate for validation that what I was doing was okay because I didn't fit in the classic category or, you know, the, the classic definition of like an alcoholic or an addict. Um, and unfortunately that limbo that I think a lot of us are caught in, it just permits the behaviors to continue. And it, we, it, it gives us a reason to just, just to justify the fact that we're living kind of a crappy existence um, for longer than we need to. Right. So. And, and yeah, I mean, you said it, obviously you have lots of uh, skill with words probably from, from your background as a lawyer, but like, there's no solution. There's no prevention in the standard like that. That yeah. just really sums it up. Like that's just yeah. exactly the issue. And, um, and there isn't even opening for conversation in the standard. No, there isn't. Approach. And it's unfortunate. And I, I really appreciate the fact that you, you know, have opened my eyes up to the fact that I am not alone in that, um, in terms of, you know, the way that I felt at the place where I was with drinking and that, that, that if I thought it was a problem, that that's enough. Yeah. Um, and, and really the standard should be that, you know, like, and I it's funny because I say it all the time in coaching about other habits and other areas where people are trying to make change. Like if it's not serving you or it's making you feel bad, then change it. You know, it's such a basic thing, but with alcohol, it's so much more complicated than that. And obviously there's the, the actual physically addictive component of the, of the drug itself, which um, may not always be in play in other like areas of change, but yeah, it just, it took me an awful long time to get there. And so I really am so thankful for that anxiety because that is what eventually led to me saying like, I can't do this anymore. Even if this isn't like objectively by anybody else's standards problematic, I can't do this anymore. I'm so exhausted. Um, and it just created, you know, now I understand, thanks to you and um, this naked mind, I understand the connection between the alcohol and the anxiety and the fact that it was just fueling it and making it worse. And I had really no chance of managing it while I continued to drink. So, um, and surprise, surprise, it disappeared as soon as I stopped drinking. Um, but that's really, that was like an early warning system for me. And you use that pitcher plant analogy that I love in this naked mind. And I think that I'm just one of those people who is you know, just honestly, just so lucky. It was just grace that I was able to get myself out of the pitcher plant before I got all the way down to the bottom of the thing. But it's no fun in there. It doesn't matter where you are, you know, like it was no fun for me in all of those years. And I, I wish I had recognized then how much better it truly is to not drink. Just all of the amazing things that are available to me now in an alcohol-free life that I was just had no idea they were out there. I just assumed that it would just be sheer white knuckling and deprivation. Um, and I had no, absolutely no trust in the idea 
that I could have true freedom from it and not be thinking about it all the time. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It seems like it's such a, like, I wouldn't even, I mean, couldn't like get right. Like it didn't even feel like a realm of possibility. And I, I think that's the interesting thing that, you know, through this naked mind and especially now you're training to become a coach and like we talk about like this stuff in, in the coach training is this, um, this idea of when you feel something, it feels true. And so it can be really hard to be like, okay, let me get curious that maybe this isn't true, that maybe my feelings are incorrect because, you know, feelings are, are, they're, they're not like other people's opinions or even, even thoughts that we can hear and be like, oh, that may or may not be right. And we can have some level of skepticism. It's, it's very almost unnatural for us to question our feelings. Feelings feel very real to us, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. And when I listened to your book and I went like the, so I started listening to it. I mean, I was in it, Annie, like I, 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 I just by complete, I think it was just like, I believe in things just kind of happening um, for a reason. And I had to go get an MRI and the only place I could get it was like eight hours away. So I was driving by myself for eight hours. I had never in my life downloaded a book ever. And for some reason, I thought maybe I'll download a book for this trip because it's going to be a long drive. And so I got online and I remember my husband was sitting there and I was looking at titles. I don't know where I was, iTunes or somewhere I was looking for a book. And I must have put alcohol in, or maybe it was like a, it was because I was in a bestseller section, but I saw it. Somehow it came onto my screen. I probably actually didn't put alcohol in, but um, I do look for health and wellness stuff all the time because I'm in the business of health and wellness. And so maybe it just, it showed up there, but I saw it. And I read the subtitle underneath it, which talked about freedom from alcohol and it being possible. And it just, the title just really resonated with me. And I said to my husband, I think I'm going to download this book. And he's like, why are you like, why do I, why do I need to know this? And I said, this is the book. And then I read the the title to him and I said um, something like, I don't think I'd ever really disclose this to him, but I said, I think I have, like, I think I might have a problem with alcohol. And he kind of, you know, he said, you know, what you expected him to say, which is, oh, no, I think, you know, okay, download it, but I don't think you, you know, maybe you don't have a problem. Anyway, um, I downloaded the book and I listened to it the entire way up to the MRI. And I remember lying in the tube, which I was terrified to, to do. And in the tube, I was like, I can't wait to listen to the next chapter. It just changed awesome. everything for me. And I loved the cognitive dissonance stuff. It just, it really made sense to me. And it made, it just absolutely like gave words to the feelings that I had had with my, I really do pride myself of being somebody who's a careful thinker and I research and I, um, you know, I, I don't, I'm a risk manager and I don't act like I'm not a spontaneous person. I'm just, I, I feel like I kind of I should have it all together, but this is the one area where I just could not get my crap together. And so this ex- explanation of my, what my subconscious mind believed and what my rational brain believed and those two things being in a different place and me having a very small shot of actually getting done what I wanted to get done until I got those closer together. It just made so much sense to me. And, um, and I didn't, I sat in the driveway and finished listening to it because it wasn't over by the time I got home and I kept listening to it. Um, and at the beginning, I remember thinking, Oh, this is so great. She says I can keep drinking. (laughs) (laughs) 
I remember thinking that and I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to this. She must know something I don't know. And, um, you know, of course, moderation is possible for some people, but it definitely was not possible for me. And so as I was, I was listening to the book, by the end of the book, I thought, I don't think that I want to moderate. Mm. Like it wasn't at the beginning, I thought, oh, this is going to be like, this is going to allow me to moderate. I'm going to learn how to moderate. And by the end of the book, I was clearly thinking, I don't actually think that that is what I want. Not what I should do or what I need to do, but like, it's just not actually what I want. And so um, that was incredible for me. I stopped. Um, I had already stopped drinking for a few days before that because I was on one of my like self-imposed, you know, wine fasts. Um, and so um, I did not have any more drinks though after that. That was the last, that was, the, that was exactly what I needed at that point in my life. And I'm now almost at two and a half years alcohol free. Um, and I will not go back to alcohol ever. It's just so much better over here. So thank you for that. Thank you so much for that. You're so welcome. That's just awesome. And I think that that, you know, just perfectly ties into this idea we were talking about before. It's like, you can't imagine it feeling different. Right. And then, I mean, it's like, just to give a really silly example, like in college, I remember dating somebody and I, I could never imagine not feeling like, oh, this is the person. Like you can never imagine feeling like there would be anybody else that would ever top that person. And this was definitely the thing because your feelings are so intense. And, and then of course, now you look back and, you know, a few boyfriends ago and have been married for 15 years and you're like, I haven't even thought of that person in decades. Like what, what, you know, it's just yeah. so different and it, it really is similar. And I, I think that I just encourage people to get, you know, curious, like what if there is a possibility that it's not about white knuckling it, it's not about doing, you know, the things that we're all doing to try to make rules for yourself and keep the rules and, you know, live on this tight rope of when am I going to drink again? When am I not? And all the, yeah. all the thinking and anxiety that comes into it. Like there, there is a possibility that you could genuinely change your feelings about alcohol. And if you change your feelings, like everything changes. Like if you don't, if you yeah. don't want to drink, like my kids, um, what is something they, they love this like really gross fruit by the foot. Right. And it's like this, like, <laughs> yeah, I know it fruity, whatever. It's like pulpy yeah. fruit. It's just really nasty. I don't have any desire to eat that. Like I have no desire to eat that, but if it's around and like they get it, they're like, Oh my gosh, please, 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 please. Right. And, and two different people can feel totally different. Like you can actually change your desire to where, you know, people like, even from the very beginning for me, people could drink around me or be like, come on. And I'm like, yeah, I just don't, I just don't want it. Like there was I know, no, it's amazing, right? Like you go, I went from thinking about drinking all the time, like all the time, you know, like, could I, what did I, when was the last time I had a drink? When can I have another drink? Did I have too much to drink? Should I, oh, look at me. I'm really good. I didn't have a drink. You know, like I was thinking about it all the time. I went from that to literally never thinking about it, except for the fact that I'm now getting certified as a coach. But I, you know, I, had, I, 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 it's like this complete freedom from it, which I never believed was possible. And so one of the reasons why I am getting certified as a coach is because, uh, you know, I think that not just with my existing clients, um, but it, it certainly comes up all the time. Alcohol is, you know, and I've realized this, it's a really, it's a very common issue. Um, and um, I, ha I know that I have lots of people who trust what I say. And so if I had had somebody who I trusted, which I eventually found you, and for some reason, Annie, trusted you within like 
two paragraphs of your book. But <laughs> if I had had somebody like that earlier on, like if I'd had somebody in my real life who I trusted and looked up to and respected, who said to me, look, I promise you this, I am not lying to you. It's possible to never think about it again and absolutely live like the best life ever. Um, that would have made a difference for me. But instead, all I saw was like the AA model, which works for lots of people. But for me, I would never have gone to an AA meeting ever. I didn't see myself as somebody who belonged at AA. Um, I, I have, um, you know, I struggled with the fact that my story wasn't bad enough. And that's why I wouldn't have gone to AA because I, I felt like, oh, I, well, I'm not clinic, I'm not technically an alcoholic and my story, you know, I don't have any rock bottom moments. And so I never would have gone there, but that was my model for what it would be like to not drink, which is like, I've got to go to a meeting every day and I need to, you know, really like, re like accept the fact that this thing has control over me and that my life has become unmanageable. And meanwhile, I'm like, I'm actually rocking it somehow. I am still like, things are still going along tickety boo and I haven't actually had any big crises. And so I didn't have that. And my hope is, is that I'm able to provide that for people as somebody who's kind of in the middle, in the middle. But I, I think, as I said, one of the things I've realized since I started doing work with you through the certification program is that there are thousands and thousands of people out there who feel the same way I did, who are like, ugh, this doesn't feel good. I, I don't think this is right for me, but everybody else is telling me that it's not wrong. Mm. Um, and so, and it's going to be really hard to make a change. So I guess I won't, you know? Um, anyway, I hope that, that I'm able to, 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 in an honest way, um, I don't want to say convince, because it's not about twisting arms. It's just show people through, through truth, through my, through my truth about this, um, that it's really amazing if you do it this way and you go through the process of just dismantling all of these beliefs that you thought you held, you know, that you thought were true. I, I really thought I couldn't go out and have fun with my friends without alcohol. And like, the truth is all my friends still drink. My friends right. all drink. I have a couple friends that don't drink, but most of my friends drink. My husband still drinks, not that much, but he has, you know, occasionally has a drink. Um, my parents still drink. My sit, well, my mom still drinks. My sister still drinks. Like, and, and I'm able to go and have a great time with them. And, um, and actually don't, I've never felt at all like I am missing out. And I don't want it to sound any like it's easy because you know, and I know that there are lots of hard parts about, stopping drinking, um, especially in the beginning. And the first month was tough, um, but I did do the 30 day alcohol experiment, which is wonderful. If there's anybody listening who's looking for a place to start, read the book and do the experiment. I just, I loved those videos so much, Annie, that I actually developed a program right after that for my clients that was based on, diff on it was not in relation to alcohol, but another program where I sent them a 20 minute video every day because I thought, Oh, this is so great to wake up. I go to the inbox. I'd look for the video. It gives me my little boost for the day. Nice. Um, yes, yeah, so I did that program and it was fantastic. And I, I did all kinds of other things. Um, everything really. I always say, if you want to make a change, you need to just, just throw the whole book at it. Like just try everything. And some things will probably stick and work for you and some things won't. But I mean, I tried everything um, and some of it stuck and some of it didn't. And a lot of the things I still do to this day, I still meditate regularly. I still have a gratitude practice. Um, I still try to, you know, I take care of myself in all the other ways. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, that yeah. was a ramble. 
No, it's so, it's so good. And it's so important to think about, okay, well, what happens after too? And how are my friends going to feel and, and what's going to happen? And I think so much of that um, can be based on your perspective. And some of it is real. Sometimes people are, are just not cool. And sometimes that, not sometimes, most of the time, that means so much more about them than it does about you. But that's something to navigate and learn. And that was a huge aha for me. I remember walking into um, like a get together at somebody's house once. And it was pretty recently after I had stopped drinking and kind of the word was out or whatever. And everybody was like, and it was funny because I'd never really had any conversations with alcohol around anybody. And I had two people within 15 minutes going like, hey, how's it going? So yeah, um, yeah, I heard you stop drinking. You know, my drinking, I, I almost never drink. I, I only drink on like rare occasions and, you know, my, and just justifying their drinking to me, like, like really fully. And I had said zero things. Like I literally just walked in the room and I remember telling my husband when we were going home, I was like, that was so weird. People are like literally justifying. It's like, why do you justify anything? Because you have a part of you that's feeling really uncomfortable with it. Otherwise you wouldn't justify yeah. it. You don't justify things you feel fine about. Like you yeah. just like, and so. For sure. Yeah, it's hap it happened to me too. And it's really, it's happened with people who I, it doesn't matter to me because I don't know them or care that much about them. And it's happened, unfortunately, with a couple of people who I really do care deeply about, but, and it takes a, it does take a while, just, it hurts, just like, you know, any, anything like that hurts, but it is really important to recognize that um, it's not about you. Um, yeah. And I really pride myself in everything I do, whether it's personal relationships or as a coach, like non being non-judgmental and providing a safe space for people is really, really important to me. And so I've struggled with that a little bit because in disclosing the fact that I stopped drinking, I have the, without intending to, I have the ability to make somebody else feel less than. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's been a real struggle for me and um, you have helped me with that. Thank you for that. I've, I'm getting better with it, but um, but definitely still think about that. It, I'm kind of hyper aware of the impact that my decision to stop drinking might have on other people, but I am starting to turn that around and I can see that there is also a big positive in it. Um, but I hear you when you say that. There's been some weird social stuff that's happened to me. I have a dear friend actually, when I first started drinking, one of the toughest things was that I had a vacation planned with one of my really good friends and we were going to Miami Beach by ourselves, the two of us for like a four day getaway. And I told her, I walk with her all the time and I told her that I was gonna stop, that I had stopped drinking. And I told her about your book and um, she was really interested in it. We were talking about it and she did, does not have a problem with alcohol, um, but she she is a drinker. Um, or she was at the time anyway. And so I, everything was fine. And then I said, you know, I don't know how long I'm going to do this, but it feels good right now. And that was, and that conversation progressed. And then right before we were going away, I said, you know, I don't think I'm going to drink. I might not drink again. <laughs> like I might just not drink again. And she was like, she's, I said, I think I might be done with it. And she said, her response was, well, as long as you're drinking for the trip, it'll be fine. And the trip was literally the next week. And I was like, Oh God, I am not drinking for the trip. Like, I don't want to drink for the trip. Like, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to deal with this? Anyway, she was amazing because I decided, and it was a really vulnerable moment for me, but I decided to just tell her how important it was to me to not drink. And I also said to her, I want you to have the best time. And it doesn't bother me at all, which was the truth. Like if you have a drink, I'll actually feel better if that's what you want. Like, I don't want you to change the way you are. Um, because of me. 
um, because actually where I am with this right now, I legitimately do not want to drink. And so I will not feel any sense of deprivation if you go ahead and enjoy yourself and have a drink. And so she was wonderful. We had a really candid conversation. We had an amazing trip um, and she had a few drinks along the way and it was fine, but that was a tough one. It was a good learning lesson for me just to be honest about it because the people who care about you will want the best for you. That's the truth. Yeah, yeah that's so true. And and it is really, yeah, it's it's so good to learn upfront that it's so much more about what's going on with them. But you can't you can't say that in like a defensive way. Like how you no. navigate it, you know, and I love how you navigate it with like, no, I want you to drink. Like I would do the same sort of things. I'd be like, if you know, my team was people who are affected because we're always drinking together in the corporate world. And I noticed the first time I took everybody out for a team dinner um, when I was in town or whatever we went out and I just ordered an iced tea. And since I ordered first and I ordered iced tea, nobody else ordered a drink and, and nobody was, and everybody was kind of like annoyed about it. But if the boss wasn't drinking, then it was a no go. So the next time I ordered, I was like, what's everybody want red or white or whatever. And I ordered the bottles and then I ordered my iced tea yeah. and then everybody was totally cool with it. Yeah. And it was like, okay, like just need to, you know, make sure to navigate things because the thing that I know for me and people will be like, well, why is that? You know, you, you don't think alcohol is very good for people. Why would you encourage them to drink? Well, the thing for me is like, I needed to come to that on my own. Like I needed to be treated in my own mind by myself, like an adult, not like a child. I was trying to put rules around because rules are only for this, the sake of when you can't really be empowered to make good decisions in the moment, then you need the rules. Right. And, and by the way, all my rules that I'd made weren't working for me in the first place. So, so I had created this really nasty relationship with myself because of all these rules. And so um, I know that when I, was most open to changing it was when i felt no judgment no pressure nobody trying to twist my arm nobody trying to back me into a corner yeah by the way that nobody was often myself when i felt least into changing it was when i was trying to judge and pressure myself and back myself into a corner well if you do this then this or if you do this and you can't do that or if you do this this means that you know all of this stuff and so i think that my job um with the people i love is to make sure they feel very comfortable and make sure that i am being you know, the best example I can be and just showing up really embracing life. And so if those two things happen, then I, I've seen it and I know it's, it's hard um, early days, but now, you know, years and years in, it's amazing the changes that have actually happened very organically because when one person starts to look at something, everybody in those social groups starts to, to get curious about it as long as they're not defensive. But as soon as yes. you see something to put somebody on the defense, their curiosity goes away because all of a sudden they're, they're mad at you, they're defensive towards you and, and there's no reflection, right? So yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think everybody who stops, who becomes alcohol free has an experience where they put someone on the defensive by accident, probably. Oh, yeah. um, and so you go through that and you learn from that lesson. And I've certainly learned that lesson. Um, but um, yeah, I think, yeah, I just, everything you say is, I, I feel like, like I've experienced the same thing and it definitely resonates with me. And, you know, if I could go back, I would just, I just wish I'd done it earlier. Like that's my, my only regret. I mean, it is what it is. Um, but I, I wish I had known earlier that this was actually going to be better instead of, you know, assuming it was going to be so hard and so much worse. And, um, and that's just really not the case. I remember asking myself, my dad, when my dad, um, when we found out my dad had a year to live, I thought I had been doing some work around meditation. I'd been doing some generally just some work around being present more often, managing anxiety and stress through meditation. And, um, you know, 
surprise, surprise, alcohol does not help you stay present. So it was the opposite of that in that I was using it as an escape mechanism to get out of Dodge every night when I got home because I just didn't want to be in the space in my head that was grief, you know, at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I thought at one, one time I just had this, I probably was after a night of, you know, drinking more than I said, I promised myself I was going to drink. But I remember um, saying, what are the chances if I don't do anything that in five years, this is going to be better, worse, or the same? And it was just so obvious that it was only going to get worse. Like I just, I looked back and it was like, what was I doing five years ago with wine? Well, it wasn't this, you know, what was I doing last year with wine? It wasn't this, like it's got, it's getting worse every year. It's getting a little more problematic for me and harder for me to manage every year. And so if I don't change something for sure, I'm going to be in a terrible position in five years and I don't like where I am right now. So why would I wait? And I think that little conversation I had with myself, was really like, it really was a come to Jesus moment for me. I was just like, okay, Wendy, like you have got to do something different. And that would have happened like right around the time that I was going to get this MRI <laughs> and I got your book. So it, it all kind of happened together. Um, and now that's a test I use all the time with clients, like with anything, like five years from now, if you don't do anything, if you don't make any change with this, where are you going to be? You can be better, worse, or the same. And they're like, mm -hmm. and it's always worse. <laughs> Because these things don't fix themselves. It's an addictive substance. You only go further down that plant. Yeah. So, anyway. yeah. yeah. So true. Yeah. So true. Yeah. And I, I share gratitude to be like, oh, that's how I feel when I think about drinking now. Speaking of feelings, is I, yeah. I think, oh, thank goodness. I'm so Me glad. Me too. Aren't you glad you're not drinking during COVID? That's one thing yes. I'm very thankful for because we're right in that right now. And the thing I'm the most grateful for, Annie, is that I did stop drinking a year before my dad died. And I spent, almost, I saw my dad almost every day in the year before he died and he ha was incapacitated in some ways, um, but I had lots of really lucid conversations with my dad that were really wonderful. And I made it a point of, I was like, doesn't matter how bad things are over there, there's always gonna be one really great thing to be grateful for. And I looked mm -hmm. for it every time I went and I found it every time I went and I have now this like list because I was doing gratitude at the same time I was practicing gratitude. I'd started that maybe six months before this. And so I have a list now of all of these incredible little things, you know, like the time my dad asked me to polish his shoes and get the polish, the shoe polishing kit out and polish his shoes so that he could go to the Christmas dinner that they were having in the condo you know and I got the shoe box out and I remembered like all the times my dad had polished my shoes when I was a little girl and how he showed me how to polish shoes like that's such a little thing but honestly if I had been at my dad's that day thinking god I can't wait to get home and have a glass of wine I would have missed it like I just I wouldn't have any of those memories and I am so grateful for that and I just have to tell you this little story because I know we're almost done but this thing happened today and I thought this has got to be some kind of a sign. So I'm currently in my, I have a, we have a summer place that's on the ocean in Nova Scotia and we came up here for my kids spring break, but then we got basically in lockdown. So we've been here now for about five weeks and from my window where I have my desk set up, I can see the ocean. Um, and um, last summer, which was you know, like six months after my dad died, um, I used to, I walk around, I walk all the time on the ocean when I'm here. And there was this great blue heron that I used to see almost every day. I would see him and 
it got to be this thing where I'd like wait to see the great blue heron. And I would hope that I would see the heron when I came down. And I would, you know, it would be like, I would have this feeling of peace when I saw the heron. And I said to my mom, I think this is, I go, call me crazy. <laughs> but I think that maybe dad is somehow like connected to this heron because he always seems to show up when I need him. And we've been down here now for a while. And I keep saying to my husband, who's a biologist, like, when is that heron coming back? Because of course he left for the, he left for the winter. And Rob said, oh, he won't be back for a couple of weeks. They usually don't come back till May, you know, whatever. Anyway, this morning, I was a little nervous about this because this is the first time I've ever told my story. And I went downstairs to get my coffee before I started working today. And I looked out the window and didn't that heron fly down and land right on a rock. And I watched him all morning because I can see when I'm coaching here, I can see out the window and I watched that bird all morning. And so it was kind of like a sign like, yeah, this is the right time for you to do this. And it's okay for you to do this. And mm -hmm. I don't think my dad, like he never really understood that I had stopped drinking. It didn't, he didn't understand why I'd stopped drinking. I mean, my dad and my dad liked to have a, he liked to rum and Coke. So um, he, he didn't really understand it. But anyway, it was just kind of a neat thing that happened today. And I wanted to share that. I love that. That's so awesome. Oh, it's so cool. Mm -hmm. Um, so let me ask you, uh, first of all, where can people find you? Um, oh, I, you can find me online. I have a website. It just, it's just Wendy McCallum, um, coaching. So, um, it's www.wendymccallum.com. And McCallum is M-C-C-A-L-L-U-M. Yes. Awesome. Very cool. Yep. And then Wendy, so if you were to go back and, and talk to, you know, your former self about what life is like now, what would you tell her? I would say, don't wait. Um, I would tell myself to read your book, although I don't know how much earlier it was available than when I found it, but I probably could have gotten it a little earlier than I did. So I would definitely say, don't wait. And I would say it is, it is so much better on the other side and it does not have to be from a place of deprivation. It just, you know, um, if, if I could say one thing to people, it's that it is absolutely possible to not drink anymore and have that be a positive conscious choice that involves no resentment or deprivation or any negative feelings. I have only positive feelings about my decision not to drink. Um, again, it doesn't mean it's, it doesn't mean there aren't moments where it's tricky and I have to navigate some things, but, um, you know, I've been through some of the hardest stuff in my life. So like sober. Um, things that I thought I needed alcohol for, I realized I actually cope far better without alcohol through those. I'm now coaching through COVID. And I was just saying the other day to, when I was on with Scott um, on a coaching call, it's a, it's a hard time to coach people. It's a tough time because it's re people are really struggling right now. But I can only imagine how much more difficult this would be for me if I was drinking every day after work. Um, I, and I made it through my, my dad's death. I was sober and with him for that for the for for everything um sober at the funeral and I remember everything about it and I have no regrets around that and so I would say that's the biggest thing that has come out of it for me is that I have no regrets and I feel like I live my life now with integrity you know as a wellness coach it doesn't really fly to be drinking alcohol the way I was drinking alcohol and, um, you know, coaching people around um, you know, how to listen to their feelings and figure out what's out of balance for them. And this was the one piece for me that was always out of balance that I always had shame around, never really felt right for me. And I feel like now I am in a place where I can really coach with 
integrity. Like I, I am who I am supposed to be. And I love, I just love the idea behind the naked mind. I'd never heard you explain it until the other day when I heard you talking about it. And you said, it's this idea of, you know, living, living with a brain that has nothing in it. So just the pure idea of it just be a completely uncontaminated brain, but also that idea of going back to who you were before alcohol. And that's what made me really remember how much I hated the taste of alcohol. When I was kind of putting together my story, I thought, God, I hated it so much when I first tasted it because it's really not tasty. It's really not good. And I, I love that idea of going back to who I was before all of this. So good. Oh, I love that. And I love where you started is just like, I wish, you know, do it now. Don't wait. Don't, there's no need to wait. And especially now, I mean, it is you know, just yeah. take, just have some, some curiosity. And especially if you pick up the book or something like Wendy says, you don't have to stop. Like, it's like, you know, just read it, just give it a chance because your feelings might change. And then if your feelings change, everything can change. So. Yeah. And if you've tried it, if you've tried it other ways, just try it a new way. Like, you know, there's a saying that I, that I like, it's something like, uh, you know, don't try harder, try different. And yeah. I think I just kept trying harder and harder and harder. And the truth is, is it was not the right way for me to stop. And then this was the different that I needed. It was just something totally different. Um, and sometimes that's what you need to do. You just need to like sh shift your focus and your path and find what works for you. Yeah. So good. Well, thank you so much, Wendy. It's been thank such you. a pleasure. Thank you, Annie. I'm so, I'm so happy to have been able to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's wonderful. So you're a great storyteller. I, I really enjoyed oh. the conversation. Oh, I appreciate that. Thanks, Annie. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Did you miss this Naked Mind Live? Do you maybe have a little bit of FOMO? But don't worry, I've got you covered. In fact, I had the entire event professionally recorded and it's available digitally. Transformation in your living room. Yep, that is what it's all about. You can grab your digital ticket at thisnakedmind.com forward slash digital ticket. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today. Thank you.